if you guys want to stand with us, we're going to begin worship. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity just to come just as we are, no matter the weeks that we've had or the year that we've had, Lord, that we get to come before your throne of grace and we get to just receive mercy, that we get to receive conviction and encouragement from you, Lord. Your word says in Psalms 27, verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, and that's what we want to meditate on this morning, your goodness and your faithfulness to your people, Lord. I pray that you would anoint this worship set, Lord, that your spirit would fill our hearts to be able to sing your praise in spirit and in truth, Lord. That you would just be ministering to us through these songs, and as we proclaim and sing out whether we feel like we can or not, Lord, that you would be glorified and magnified, that this would put a smile on your face, that you would fix our gaze on you this morning, that you would rid us from the distractions, and that we would just really worship you this morning, Lord. We thank you for the cross that we get to come and for your forgiveness that washes our sins pure as snow, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So this next song is a familiar hymn. It's Come Thou Fount. And there's a little twist on the bridge. And so I wanted to give you guys the opportunity just to hear it once. And then we'll all worship and sing it together. But it goes a little bit like this.
take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And Lord, what a pleasure it is to just lay our hearts before you and worship and just have your presence remind us of your goodness and the reality of your grace. I pray that um, you would just anoint Jesse as he comes up here and that you would prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say. And we just thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends. Um, you still on? Yep, there we go. You may have a seat. Uh, welcome. We are glad you are here. We have a couple more weeks of sunshine out here, and then we're heading in. I'm pretty excited. Um, if I haven't introduced myself to you, my name is Brad Noel. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I oversee worship and outreach into our community and uh, amongst other things. But I wanted to just touch base with you. Uh, every October, October 31st, we do an event called Trunk or Treat. And over the past five years, this event has become um, a very key marker in our community and loving our community and um, providing a safe environment for kids to come and to, to trick-or-treat and, and to basically that we can love them and share the gospel with them in a, in a tangible way. Uh, this year is going to be a little bit different as we have kind of uh, pivoted to, to make it as a drive-through this year. And the idea behind this is that we will be honoring essential workers. Um, essential workers in our community being people that work at the hospital, police officers, fire department, the grocery store, um, restaurants, um, and then the church. So it'll be a drive-through that comes through the front entrance here and kind of works our way around the parking lot. Um, the idea and thought is, is that you, as the people uh, of the Lord, um, would um, have an opportunity to, for you guys to serve. Uh, I've been kind of just kind of clawing at people and just saying, hey, you know, you should come be a part of this event. This event has been, has drawn 1,200 people over the past five years, and it's been a great event for our church. Um, but we're on the cusp of possibly not doing it this year because of um, really the lack of volunteers. And not to put a guilt trip on you by any means. I'm at peace with um, the fact that if, if God doesn't see fit that we should do it this year, that's all right. I'm going to encourage you to be on mission at your house then and to love on the kids that are in your neighborhood. But if you have an inkling in your heart to come serve, uh, please come talk to me. Um, I need about 30 volunteers to do this event, and I have about 10 so um, I'm going to make a decision probably this, this Tuesday, Wednesday, if we're going to move forward. Um, if you would like to be a part of it, please come uh, chat with me afterwards. Give me a call, shoot me an email, and I would love for you to come alongside and be a part in serving our community. Amen? God bless you guys. Well, good morning. Oh, man, that's making me sound cool. It still had the effect on there. Everyone say, Jesus! You can take that off at any time. That'd be great. Um, Hey, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. It's uh, really good to have you. I know um, uh, maybe I haven't met some of you, and my name is Jesse. For the most part, uh, I get to teach here on Sundays, which is a, a really humbling privilege for me uh, to be a part of. And uh, we are glad you're here, whether someone invited you because they love you or whether you're checking things out and you're looking for a church because you're new to the area. We're just really glad you're here. In fact, uh, one of the things that we've, we recognize is that our community is changing. Uh, we've had some families move. Uh, we have some families thinking about moving. We've had a lot of people move into the area. I know some of you uh, are in that that uh, that realm right now, and some of you are watching and uh, checking things out. We just want to say we're we're glad to have you. Want to meet you. Want to get to know you. Uh, in fact, I shared a, a couple Sundays back about how really a, a our church wants to be a church that that sees any person, no matter where they're from, 
uh, to come to know Jesus and to grow in their faith, even people from the Bay Area. Uh, and I, I made a, a joke uh, about that, um, but recognizing that God is pe- bringing people from all over California to come to here, and we don't want uh, our new friends to feel different than us because we recognize that all of us are sinners saved by grace regardless of where you come from. Uh, in fact, I was really, really blessed because uh, someone actually messaged me um, from the Bay Area, and they said that they've been thinking about moving to Truckee. And I, this was on Instagram, actually. I've never met this person before. They may be watching now. They've been watching for the last few weeks. And he and his wife are thinking about moving here to get out of the Bay Area and to get into a little bit more of a holistic community. And they want to find a good church. And so they've been listening. And she uh, messaged me and, and said, I'm sorry, he messaged me and just said, thank you so much for your comments about welcoming people from the Bay Area because we've been praying about making a move. And my wife has been scared because she feels that all the Truckee locals hate the Bay Area. Uh, and so um, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing for us to welcome people into the kingdom and into the community uh, because what unites us is Jesus, uh, not, not our other background, not anything else. It's Jesus. And so, again, if, if that's you, we, we're so glad you're here, uh, and we want to get to know you. One of the ways that we, we do that, there's actually two ways. One is go to sbctruckee.com. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to sign up for the newsletter there, but if you want to get a message from the church directly, we, we try to uh, a text message or reach out to our, uh, our new individuals. In the back when you came in, there are bulletins. There's a little connect card in there you can take out. Fill that out, and we'll make sure someone in the office connects with you. Uh, and then big picture, uh, you know we've been preparing and getting ready uh, for winter. I know some of you are stacking your wood. Anybody cutting and stacking wood uh, these last few weeks? All right. You, can, you know who's lived here long enough because they still do that, right? If you are from the Bay Area and you're new, there's this thing that you have in your house you probably didn't have in the Bay Area called a wood stove, uh, and you have to buy wood to put in there, okay? People just don't bring it to your house. It's just, okay. Um, so uh, if, if uh, uh, we've been kind of preparing for, you know, winter's coming, we know we can't be outside forever, we needed to pick a date, uh, even though the weather may be, you know, good into November, we needed to pick a date because uh, we're, we're strategizing with our children's ministry, our worship team, our setup and teardown crews, our sound techs, our visual techs. There is an enormous amount of uh, volunteers that make this happen. Uh, and so we needed to pick a date so we could get ready for that to do Sunday services inside as best as possible. Many of you have said you've loved uh, the 10 a.m. service outside. You can see uh, most of who comes to the church and who's part of our church family. Uh, we are probably going to continue to do outdoor services in the future next year. Um, but during uh, certain seasons, we have to be inside. Otherwise, you'll get frostbite, and uh, it'll be a bad day for everybody. And so November 1st, we're moving inside. We're going to go to two services, 8.30 a.m., 10.30 uh, a.m. want to welcome you to come. For those of you who are uncomfortable being indoors, uh, you are susceptible or you're concerned, uh, we want to make sure that you know that we still have all the live and on-demand services will be available to you. We are going to open up other parts of the building so you can spread out. Those of you who want a little extra distance from people for the same reason. I can tell you, as far as cleanliness goes and what we're doing uh, for the building, we actually, right when, when coronavirus hit, when everything went down, we were being told early on by, by individuals what we needed to do to make sure our facility was really clean. And so early on, like right, right at the end of March, early April, we ordered these like super high-tech sprayers that are used uh, in industrial kind of like airplanes and and venues with, with a lot of people in them. 
and uh, and they were like, okay, we ordered them, and they were back ordered for like three or four months, something like that, uh, and they they weren't cheap. Um, and, but we felt at that time we needed to do this. We want to keep our people healthy. Well, they're here, and Jim Matthias, who takes care of all our janitorial work, he might be walking around with something that looks like a gun from a video game. Uh, don't be fearful that he's going to shoot you, um, but he's testing it out to, uh, to use. So we're, we're going to have that available. And then we do have vents in the church that we will have well ventilated during the winter that will be open uh, as well. And so, again, we're doing everything we can. But I think you know, all of us need to be able to understand that, that when we gather together, even like this outside, we're taking a calculated risk. Uh, and, and that risk is that we desire to know Jesus and worship Jesus uh, over, over uh, the idea of, of fear and, and that you see that this is important enough that you might get sick, right? You're outside. You know you might get sick out here, right? I hate to be the first one to tell you this. It's possible. Uh, and that's the calculated risk that we take because we know that we are now at a place where we've transitioned out of just worrying about physical well-being, but now there is much concern for spiritual and mental health. Amen? Uh, and, and the church is to be a beacon of hope. Uh, the word of God is, is the thing that gives us comfort that we also need to make much of, a big deal of our spiritual health and well-being in this season. Uh, that we would see, just so, just so you know, I'm sure many of you have heard this, suicide rates, especially among younger people, are higher than they ever have been in the history of the world as we know it. Uh, I'm sure they weren't taking stats way back then in, in the Old Testament, but it's, it's, a, it's definitely uh, an epidemic. And so we know that the way to heal those things is through the gospel. So uh, there's that for you. Get ready. November 1st, we're inside. And then secondly, uh, just make a, a, a note that on Thursday evenings between 6 and 7 p.m., there's a good group of people here who are dedicating time to pray uh, and to worship the Lord. And we want to invite you uh, to that gathering on Thursdays if you want to come, because we do believe also as we move forward that prayer and seeking God's will is kind of a big deal in this season. Amen? Okay, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, we're continuing uh, <clears throat> in this book, right? If you remember, Paul was a missionary. He, he was once not a Christian. He becomes a Christian becomes a missionary, starts planting churches, uh, ends up meeting this young disciple by the name of Timothy, which the book is named after. Timothy uh, ends up journeying with Paul for about 15 years, and on his journeys, he ends up planting Timothy away from his home in Lystra and to this new place in Ephesus, and he essentially, he becomes the pastor of Ephesus, of the Ephesian church. And Paul now is instructing him because Paul planted it. He leaves. Things got weird after a few years after Paul has left. And he's encouraging Timothy, stay, hang in there. Don't leave. You've got you've to teach against false teaching. You've got to stand to make sure that the church is healthy. And if you remember, uh, one of the reasons we're in this book is because we need in this season to be reminded of God's purpose. He tells us the purpose of the gathering, what we do on Sundays and what we do during the week. And what we do as elders and leaders and shepherds of the church. And so for you, as someone who's part of this church, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15, this is the backbone of the book, that these writings, that, you, that you'll, he writes these things so that you will know how one should behave in the household of God, which is the church by Paul to Timothy. We're being kind of invited into this conversation. This is what the church is. It's a pillar of truth. It should stand for truth. This is how you operate within the church. 
Now at this particular section, if you remember last week, we kind of uh, uh, talked about uh, in, in the first part here how, how Paul encouraged him to keep this church healthy and to stay and to not leave and to be in accordance with sound doctrine. So last week's message was, what's a good church and, and what's a bad church? What's a healthy church? What's an unhealthy church? And we should be asking that question in this season now. What makes a church healthy? When I say church, I mean you. You're the church. It's not a building. It's not a tent. You, as a person of God, are part of what we call the body of Christ. And this is kind of a big deal because now Paul's going to get into his story. He's going to then get into Timothy's story. And then he's going to get briefly into the story of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And we'll get to them in a moment. So you basically have four characters uh, in this text this morning that we're going to cover. And we're going to kind of cover their stories, okay? I know I just mentioned three. And you said, okay, what's the fourth? The first story is Paul's story. The second story is Timothy's story. And then in between there, you'll see there's the story of God. He's the third character in the story. And then the fourth one, which is a cautionary tale, Hymenaeus and Alexander. That's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to talk about these individual stories. They're biographies, if you will. So everyone has a story, yeah? Everyone has a story. I have a story. Some of you have heard that story. Some of you are maybe even tired of that story. Grew up in a non-Christian home, became a Christian at a younger age, uh, through, through it all being said and done, coming uh, to a place where, where I felt God calling me to be a pastor, came here with a five-year plan, five-year plan turned into a 17-year plan, and it's still going because that's how God works. I have a story, and I have a really fun story. I won't uh, share it with you this morning of how I met my wife and how she dumped me and then how she asked me to marry her. I'm just kidding. No, I had to ask her that. Uh, but there's a story in how we got married. You have a story. But think of your story. You know, all of us have, have had parents, maybe foster parents, maybe abusive parents, maybe great parents. Some of you grew up in a broken home. Some of you grew up in a home that was uh, really great. But nonetheless, there was probably sin and brokenness in your home because people are sin and they're filled with brokenness. All of our stories that we share in common, all of our stories start in tragedy and sin. All of our stories start in sin. And this is kind of one of those things that's not popular, but it's biblical. Uh, actually, David actually says that he was conceived in iniquity. But literally the act of conception, there was sin involved, that he was born a, as we say uh, in traditional Protestant church language, born a sinner. That is to say there's something wrong initially from the outset in humanity. Inside of our blood runs the same blood of Adam, which was to choose and rebel against God. And in the story of Paul, in the story of Timothy, and in the story of Hymenaeus and Alexander, and in your story, it's not as important about how your story starts. What matters is how your story ends. That's what counts. It's not how it starts. It's how it ends. So as we read the biographies, that, that Paul basically writes out for us, the reason we're reading these biographies is so that we can study and think about our own biography. What will be written of you when you're gone? What will people say when you are gone? I've heard Wayne say this over the years, and I can attest uh, with as, mem- as many memorial services as I've done, you can, you can truly tell how someone lived their life at their memorial service. The kind of people that show up, the kind of things that are said about that person. I've been to memorial services where I would have never known that the individual was an alcoholic, but it became apparently clear only after three or four people sharing that the individual was an alcoholic. 
And whether the people in the room knew it or not, what was known about that guy by their friends, what will be remembered is how much that guy partied, how much that guy drank, how much that guy brought energy to the room when he was playing beer pong. That's what we remember old Tommy for, you know? What will be told at your story? Think about that, and then let's read the story together. So again, if you're new here, we, we deeply appreciate God's word, so we stand during the reading of Scripture. Would you join me as we start in chapter 1? In verse 12, and we'll go through verse 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, perfect verse here, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Come on, church, say amen to that. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, here's the story of God. We just read Paul's story. Now, here's the ultimate story of God. To the king of ages, this is who God is, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Timothy's story, this I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, as have some made shipwreck of their faith. The fourth category, the fourth biography, among who are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, Lord, we ask that you teach us, you mold us, you shape us, that your presence is made real amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, here's the first thing of Paul, okay? So, again, we're going to look at Paul, and then we're going to look at our life, our story. The first thing I want you to see about Paul is know what he says in verse 12, where he says that God has appointed me to service. God appointed Paul to service. Now, here's the thing. Paul was called by God to do something for the church, for the body of Christ, for God's people, for God's glory. That's why it says that that beautiful little point there for for his glory and God's story, for his glory, uh, for for him to be raised on high. He's the king of all ages. He is immoral. We're to serve God. Remember, we we said, what is is it that we're supposed to be doing as a church? What is the church supposed to be? The church is supposed to be a bunch of individuals united as one body in service to God. Do you know how big of a deal service is in the kingdom? It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. In fact, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus, one of Jesus' purpose statements, right? This is God who's come to earth says, the Son of Man came to serve and not be what? Serve. Do you participate in the church? Do you believe that God has called you as an individual to do something for God's kingdom? One pastor actually says, says it like this. He broadens it out, not just in the church, but also in our lives. Do you know that God has appointed something for each of his children to do? 
God has given, yes, you experiences, talents, abilities, skills. And because of all of that, that helps shape you as a person. And then God has something appointed for you to do. If he gives you certain children, parents, you listening? It's because he's appointed you to raise them. I remind myself every night of that while I'm tucking them into bed. Do you know that he's given you a certain spouse? Husbands, are you listening? Wives, are you listening? It's because God has appointed you to love them. God has put you in a certain church, Sierra Bible Church. Then he has placed you here and he's appointed you that, you that this would be a place to help you grow and to help others grow within your spiritual family. God has brought you friends, he's brought you family, and he's appointed you to love them and care for them, to look after them and to speak truth to them. Okay, so, so you have to understand something. God's saying, God has called Paul. Paul's saying, God has called me. And likewise, God has called you to certain things. Can, can we say it like this, husbands? Do you, do you know that, that your wife is your ministry? Dudes? Wives, do you know that, that your husband is your ministry? The key is not to let him know that, though, right? You got to do it secretly. You know that your kids are ministry. They're, they're an opportunity to, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to practice the gospel. And now specifically within the church, you're part of this church family to not be on the fringes, to not be isolated, but to dive in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says it like this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's speaking specifically not just of, of the grace of salvation, but a grace of service. Later in Ephesians, he actually says to this point that he actually has given some of us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. My particular role, my particular call is to do exactly what I'm doing right now. And then it goes on and says that the purpose of those gifts, the purpose of that talent is that you would equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Did you hear that? My primary goal, my primary job, according to the Word of God, is to preach and it's not my job to do all of the ministries. It's not Brad's job. Brad's job is to equip. Can, can I just share a, a point of praise? And I know this might be embarrassing for them, uh, but that's just what I do. I embarrass people. Sometimes you sit in a certain place where I can't see you, so I don't embarrass you and call you out. Brian, it's good to see you this morning. Um, Brad Knoll has done a tremendous job raising up some young, awesome worship leaders. Have you noticed that? Sarah was one of them this morning. Were you not incredibly blessed by her voice and her service to you? Come on. <laughs> See, she's super embarrassed. That, that's Brad doing his job as a pastor, and that's Sarah doing her job to the body to, to bless you and encourage you and to use that gift to ultimately, as it says within the particular text here, to give glory to the king of ages. That's what our gifts do. And my job is to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. It's that when I walk off of the stage, you don't say, what a great pastor, what a great preacher. You say, what a great God. And, and all of us have a certain role to do that. Some of us, it's totally secret. There are people in this church that have given a, a tremendous amount of money that, that, that have helped us do things that, that we would never be able to do without that money. There's a guy who's not even a Christian, by the way. Not even a Christian. Doesn't even go to church. Let's just use this stage every Sunday. Every single Sunday, somebody who doesn't know God says, yeah, I'll do that. Now, now, where's his story going to end? I don't know. But what I do know is sometimes even people who don't know God will still end up glorifying God and not even knowing that they're glorifying God in their actual service. 
Somebody each week drives this stage here. Somebody each week sets up the sound. Somebody each week is making sure the parking lot is clean. Those little things behind the scenes nobody ever sees. But the, 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 the purpose here, now let me go on. We equip, we equip our role to serve the church for the glory of God, and it goes on in Ephesians 4 and then says that we will attain to the unity of faith, which the church needs in this season, a unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, listen carefully now, to mature manhood. That's maturity. So that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking love in one another that we may grow up in him. Do you hear what he says? He says, listen, you've got to serve each other. You've got to serve your church. You've got to love one another. You've got to make your wife your ministry, make your husband your ministry, make your kids your ministry, make your community your ministry so that you won't be tossed to and fro by the waves and false doctrines and teachings of the world. Come on. What are the false waves and doctrines in our culture today? It's got to be the news. I believe this. I believe this. What are we supposed to believe? Well, if we're serving, okay, if we're serving and we're focused on God and we're, we're actually, you remember what Jesus says, love your neighbor? You know that verse? If you're new to church, there's a big verse in the Bible for us. It says, love your neighbor. It's a big one. Do you know love your neighbor isn't just waving at your neighbor? You know that, right? It means do something. By nature, it means you actually have to do something. Now, here's, here's the kicker, right? Because ultimately, this is what happens, okay? You come to church, and you start thinking about, well, first of all, you're here, and by God's grace, I just have to say, I was sharing this earlier, most of you come here because you're in love with Jesus. There's so many other things you could do in Truckee right now. This is a beautiful place to be uh, anywhere other than right here. But because you love Jesus, you carve out time. You're not on the mountain, you're not hiking, you're not boating, you're, you're, you're here and you're under the preaching of God's word and you're hoping to be having an encounter with Jesus. Now, inevitably though, what happens, especially as people start to progress in their faith, they start asking the question, okay, I want to do something, but I'm not empowered to do it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not ready to do it. How many of you have maybe been given an opportunity and said, not yet, I'm not ready? Right? How many of you would be comfortable if I said, you want to teach this morning? How many of you? <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, with some, uh-huh. Here's what Paul says. Listen to this. Go to verse 14. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord, I love this verse, overflowed for me with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. This overflowing grace of God. What is this overflowing grace of God? Because at one time, he actually says, I was a persecutor, I was a sinner, I was broken, my story started out broken. But what Paul ultimately says here and what he says in the rest of the text is that God has empowered him to do the work of the ministry. Um, I deal with this every now and then with single people, right? I deal with this every now and then with, with people who are thinking about having kids. Or you know what question I'm talking about? 
how will I know when I'm ready to be married? How will I know when I'm ready to have kids? Okay, I've got four kids. I'm still not ready, y'all. Okay, my oldest is 10. I'm still not equipped to take care of my children. I, I, remember, I remember when we went to a pastor early on when we were dating, and we were getting ready to possibly get engaged, and I had asked this pastor, and I said, when, when do you think we'll be ready to be married? And he said, two years. And I remember thinking, what? Young, single, Christian, celibate guy, two years? You've got to be kidding me. I'm ready right now. Right? But here, here's the honest truth. I've been married now. In November, it'll be 17 glorious, wonderful years. Yeah, thank you. We did it. I'm still not ready. I remember years ago, Wayne and I had conversations about when will I be ready to be a lead pastor in a church? You know, I'm over three years into this thing with this church. I'm still not ready. I'm still not ready. I'll never be ready. And the reason is because, as Paul says, he says, man, I'm the least of the apostles. He literally says, I'm the worst. That's Paul's language. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you've said in this season that I can't do it, you're right. I mean, that is the opposite of what the world teaches you, right? Just think positive. You can do all things. Look in the mirror, right? Remember that Saturday Night Live skit back in the day? Those of you who are old enough to remember? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. The reality is, 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 is when it comes to kingdom work, kingdom service, glorifying God, you aren't good enough. And that should free you. Because as I stand before you this morning, I'm not good enough to pastor this church. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intellectual enough. I'm not gifted enough to lead you, to guide you. I am just simply not good enough. I'm the worst. But Jesus is good and faithful to empower his people that when he calls them to ministry, as he calls Paul to ministry, that God will fulfill his promises. You know, the preaching of the pulpit is not about the man. The preaching from the pulpit is about the word of God, which will prevail regardless of who the man is. That's why you can see pastors who've had huge impacts in the world fall into sin, and yet their ministry still has been effective. Biography and our story that ties into the ultimate story of God is that we have to also know our sins. And we can't be ashamed to name our sins and call them for what they are. You know, it's interesting. I, I, you've heard me say this before, but we're here in part because of a dude by the name of Martin Luther. Tremendous guy, 1500s. God just reached into his soul, rended him in half, and he wrote a thesis with 95 points. He took that thesis and he nailed it onto the wall and said the church must not be an end of itself. The church cannot be about good works but by grace. 95 points. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, first of all, I, I, I could relate to that. You know, where I get one of those emails with 95 points, I read all the way to point four, and then I just delete it. So make your emails a little shorter for me, would you? Um, I'm joking. I don't get that all that often, really. Um, 95 points. You know the first point of Paul's thesis statements? The number one point right at the top 
Kind of a big deal. This thing gets nailed on the wall. It's going to be the first thing you read. This is what he says. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ has willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. His first point. His first point essentially is know your sin, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and know that God loves you even as you are a sinner. Why? Because because as we repent, repentance is an invitation back into the arms of Jesus. Amen? That's what repentance is. Some of us think repentance is this. Oh, man, I feel bad, and, and I'm so sorry, God, I apologize, but I feel so bad that I did it. I feel so bad. And then the focus is how bad you feel. But that's not, that's not God's role into confessing and sharing your sin. The role is, is, God, I've sinned, and I know that when I confess this sin, it's, a, it's an invitation to sit back in your lap. Right? I think of how beautiful it is when finally my, my four-year-old son, David, who when he gets frustrated, he, does, he gets angry, and, and he gets mad, and then he gets to a place where he starts calming down, and, and he's, you know, he's, that age four is just such a fun age, and it's also not fun, but it's, it's also a lot of fun. And he comes up, and he, 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 he says, Dad, I'm sorry, and then he climbs up into my lap, and he squeezes me. And I, I love that feeling of one of my young little children and, and feeling as much strength as they can muster to squeeze their daddy, which is nothing, right? I mean, I, it, it's, it's, it's nothing, but it's, I can tell it's something to them. That's what repentance is in the kingdom. And the result of that, as Paul says, is this overwhelming, overflowing mercy that Jesus gives us. See, ultimately, Paul, Paul knew how wicked he was, but more than his own wickedness and more than the knowledge of his own wickedness in his story, he knew how gracious Jesus was. And the graciousness of God always envelopes and overwhelms the sin of man. What does that mean? What's the big takeaway, really? Not only that we should serve, not only that we should be like Paul, but the big takeaway is is really when you share the gospel, because this is one of the best passages of the gospel, when you share the gospel, when you're talking to people about Jesus, one of the first things you should do is share with them how wicked you are. Let them know that you're not perfect. It kills hypocrisy, and it brings humility unfolding right before us. Timothy's just getting started in his life. Timothy is a guy that, that we don't know his ending yet. What we know is that he was timid. We, we know that he was weak. We, we know that, that the church has gotten weird, and he's got some older people telling him how he should run the church. And Paul's begging him and pleading with him, stay, hang out, keep going. What do we learn about Timothy's story? First of all, Timothy had a calling. And you know, actually, he had some people, it mentions here, they, they saw him at a young age, they laid hands on him, and they saw that he had a gifting to be a pastor. Uh, I've shared this a little bit in the past, but when I was a young kid, my grandmother used to share with me, she, she'd tell me, you're going to be my pastor. My grandmother used to say that when I was five. Now, I don't know what she saw in me at five that no one else saw. No one else saw it at 15, no one else saw it at 20. My grandmother saw something, she laid hands on me, and, and there's a calling. Ministry has a calling. Service has a calling. When we think about serving your church and, and the church serving one another, ultimately, you're going you're to want to do three things, okay? So if, 
here's at the point in Timothy's life, he's figuring things out. Paul's mentioned this idea of calling. His story is being written for us. Your story is being written before God as well. What is your calling? Where should you be serving the church? Three things you should look for. Inner, outer, opportunity. They all start with, with uh, no, they don't. I thought they all started with O, but inner starts with an I. It's a good thing when you look at your notes. Inner is this. You got to look in. What's your affinity? Uh, I heard one pastor say, what, what do you kind of vibrate to? Like what's inside of you and you go, I've got to do this. Uh, uh, even from early on in church, I would critique preachers. Just early on. And, and I didn't know why, but it eventually became to a place where I, I could realize that I, I saw something was wrong in some of the preaching or something that was good, and I wanted to duplicate it. There was this inner burn. I've got to preach. Jeremiah talks about it. He says, I've got to preach because it's in my bones. And then outer, you've got to look out. People actually say that you're good at that particular thing, right? How, how uh, Brad is right over here this morning, and you don't have to give me a number. How many people have told you that they've got an inner burning to do worship and to sing and then they get on stage, and they can't do neither. Right, friends, if you sound good in the shower, that doesn't mean you sound good up here. You know what I'm saying? I've actually, uh, I won't share that story. Um, it, people confirm it. I can say that I'm a preacher, but if people don't say, yeah, you can preach, I'm not a preacher. And then opportunity, there's an actual door that's open for you. If you don't have one of those three things, you may not be called to those things. What's interesting, though, when you think of somebody looking out, looking in on you and saying, this person has a call, I'm reminded of the, the great story of John Knox. So you might remember him, another great reformer. John Knox actually preached for the first time. He shared, he actually kind of taught. John Knox didn't think anything of it the first time that he did it. And there was a guy by the name of John Rowe who heard him, who was also a pastor, and in the middle of church, just like this, John Rose stood up and said, Knox, you're supposed to preach. You're supposed to be a pastor. You know what Knox's response was? Essentially, he cried and ran out of the room. He didn't want to preach. And if you know the rest of the story of John Knox, it was true that John Knox was a powerful preacher, but every time he preached, before every sermon, he wept and he cried because he knew the job of preaching was such a heavy, important one. But he still did it because God had called him to it. And then lastly, not only does Paul say, listen, okay, if you're going to serve, you got to remember your calling. You have to remember who you are and what God is doing in your life. How many of you remember the first time that you were in church and you felt the presence of God? Anybody remember that first moment? Maybe you've had multiple moments. Or the first time that something in a message just triggered something in you, or, or maybe something even this morning where the Spirit is calling you and working on you, molding you, shaping you. I mean, I have these moments in my journey in my life where I know God spoke. One of those moments was to come to Truckee, California. One of those moments was even to, to move from a place of not wanting to have kids to having kids, where God spoke and ministered. He's saying, remember your calling. Remember what God has done. Know that God's doing something in your life. And then he tells Timothy this, Fight. You've got to fight, Timothy. One pastor actually says, if there's anything that's lacking in modern-day church, it's the ability to fight. Listen to what he then says. Not to fight each other, but the world, the flesh, the devil, and in this particular text, 
false teachers. The church is under attack. Your pastors and leaders are under attack. Satan is trying to attack your mind. He is trying to attack you with fear. He is trying to attack your marriage. He's trying to attack your family. He's trying to attack the leaders in the church. He is trying to attack you with false teachers. He's trying to attack you with false news. He's trying to attack you on social media. Satan is after you. What is your position, Timothy? What is your position, church? Because if God's grace is overwhelming and overflowing, then we must stand, and my friends, we must fight. Who's with me? I don't want to battle alone. I don't want to do this by myself. I want you to know the goodness of God. And then Paul says about the last characters, there's not much we know about them. You know, one of them's got a weird name, one of them's got a normal name. Hymenaeus and Alexander. They're actually listed in contrast to Paul. You're actually a detriment to the health of the church. They've made shipwreck of their faith. And I don't want to make shipwreck of my faith. I don't want our church to make shipwreck of our faith. How, how do we not do that? We do as what Luther said. We practice repentance always. We practice reformation always. It would be shaped more like Jesus every day, more scripturally accurate. And then when we mess up, we ask for repentance. You know, this is a season when we're making decisions as a church and we're praying and your leaders are praying for you. We, we have just bathed what we're doing going inside in prayer. We're going to go inside and we're going to do what we're going to do and we're going to worship God. We're going to give him glory and we're going to stand not, not in fear but in faith because we know that the eternal soul is far more valuable than the physical well-being of anybody. We know the church has to invest in your spiritual well-being. We, we know that, that if you are really standing on the gospel, and you know that the grace of God overflows as Paul has, has stood before, that God is the eternal king of all ages, that dying really is not that big of a deal. And you'll have this kind of just weird peace, like if I go, I go. You know, the world does not understand that mentality because they've told you, Live for today. The world doesn't talk about death. The world doesn't talk about suffering. The world is ill-equipped to help you deal with tragedy. Did you know that? It has no way to deal with it. Just take this pill, take this drug, drink this drink, watch this TV program, but don't talk about death, don't talk about suffering, don't talk about pain. That's what makes Christianity unique. At the center of our faith is a suffering Savior who makes sense of pain and brokenness in this world because he promises a better one in the future. We want more of that. And if the virus creeps in, people start getting sick in the church, we'll change our approach. If we make a mistake, I'll stand before you and repent. But if you expect anybody to do this perfectly, <laughs> boy, you got, you got another thing coming. But if we can expect Jesus to perfectly take us home as the guarantor of our salvation, my friends, man, that's the boat to be in, isn't it? If the team would come on up and I pray for us, let us remember the story of Paul. Started bad, ended good. Timothy's story actually started without a father. Timothy actually grew up in a home with two different religions. 
he was kind of swamped into the, the, the Jewish belief, and then he was swamped in with the, the Greek belief and, and, and the, the multi-gods of Zeus and all the stuff that was in Athens. And then his story ends well. And then you have Hymenaeus and Alexander who started off well but ended poorly. I don't care how you started out. It matters where you end. I think that's why it's good that as we gather, we always end in worship. Recognizing that we always have a home in Christ. Lord, thank you that you've been faithful to your people. Thank you that you are greater and bigger than our mistakes and our sins. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. Some of us were so far from you, and now we're near. Thank you for the story of Timothy, a young man who grew up with a good mom and a good grandmother and then found a father in faith in you and then continued to pastor your church well. Thank you even for the examples of Hymenaeus and Alexander. May we not go the path that they went. May we not make